Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. Today we are continuing our teaching series entitled, What Does the Bible Say About That? Uh, And that's one of the most important questions you could ever ask about any topic. What does the Bible say about that? I would say that if there's one verse in the Bible that's kind of underscoring this entire series, and really the whole idea of, of thinking biblically about anything and everything, it would be Proverbs 23, 23. Look at this. Proverbs 23, 23 says this. And I think our TV has gone black on me. That's all right. That's why I always carry reserve parachute on my phone. Proverbs 23, 23 says this. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. And that's something that should be true for all of us in every area of life, that we need the truth. We need wisdom, discipline, and understanding from God. You know, we could talk about all kinds of topics when it comes to what does the Bible say about that. And the whole idea is that we want to train ourselves, and we're asking God to equip us to think biblically about anything. You know, just in the past week, I thought about all kinds of topics we could discuss. I mean, I thought about doing a message on what does the Bible say about Taylor Swift? Or or literally, I mean, she's everywhere, right? Just a cultural phenomenon. But we should be thinking biblically, right? How about this? After last week's Super Bowl, what does the Bible say about he gets us? Remember the the foot-washing commercial that has absolutely blown up uh, the, the Internet and social media over the last week, right? I mean, we should think biblically about these things. And by the way... Mark uh, March 24th on your calendars because we're going to wrap up this series with another one of our question and answer sessions. So instead of a message or a sermon that morning, you are going to have an opportunity to ask me any question you want to ask regarding any of the topics that we're covering in this series through the Slido app. So it will be anonymous. You're not going to be standing up with a microphone and asking in person. You can submit your questions in advance or the morning of And I will do my best to answer the question, what does the Bible say regarding uh, what you want to know? Now, today, we're going to ask this question. What does the Bible say about alcohol? And you know, I've been your pastor a little over four years now. I've never talked about this issue. Uh, Probably, if you're under the age of 35 here, I would be willing to guess you've never heard a sermon. I mean, an entire sermon dedicated to the topic of beverage alcohol. Uh, And as we get into that and ask that question, and it's a very real and relevant question uh, for those of us who live in the United States in the 21st century, I want to just say three things up front, okay, because we just need to just lay the groundwork for this message, because so many of you have come from different contexts and different church backgrounds where when you hear a sermon about alcohol, if you ever have heard a sermon about alcohol, this may not be the same thing as what you heard, okay? First thing is this, we all bring our own stories and our own biases to whatever we discuss. Isn't that true? So I'll tell you what my backstory is. Uh, I grew up in the home of an alcoholic dad. Uh, He was an alcoholic. There was a lot of friction, a lot of fighting in our home. Uh, I certainly, as a child, uh, bore some of the brunt of that, nowhere near as much as my mother did, who's sitting right over here on the front row. Uh, There was a lot of chaos. Uh, And this is as bizarre as this may sound. When I was a kid, uh, we rarely ever took family vacations with like mom, dad, and the boys. 
Almost always, my mom would take us on a vacation somewhere, and my dad would go off on his own vacation by himself. At the time, I didn't understand, but looking back, we realized it was so he could go off and drink. My dad lost his job of nearly 20 years uh, working at a citrus uh, processing plant in our hometown in Florida uh, because because of his drinking. Uh, That happened, I believe, when I was a sophomore in high school. I got saved when I was a junior. But even before I came to know Jesus Christ personally, I had decided that I was not going to drink. I I did not want to go down the road that my dad had gone down. So that's kind of my story. That's my backstory. That's that's the first thing. Second thing I want to say is that uh, we have certainly seen a pendulum swing when it comes to asking the question, what does the Bible say about alcohol? Isn't that true? Again, if, if you're over 50 here, and some of you came out of very legalistic churches, regardless of your age, but if you're over 50 here, you probably remember hearing sermons about alcohol and a lot of sermons about alcohol. And, and oftentimes there was a red-faced preacher pounding the pulpit, just seeming very angry, talking about the demon of alcohol. And, and I will be honest, some of the most manipulative sermons I have ever heard in my entire life have been on this topic of alcohol. On the other hand, in more recent years, the pendulum has swung in the other direction so that we never hear any teaching about alcohol, in spite of the fact that the Bible has a lot to say about nothing. Again, if you're under the age of 35 here, most likely you have never heard an entire sermon devoted to this topic. And yet my commitment is this, to bring you the entirety of the Word of God So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to ask that question, what does the Bible say? And here's the third thing I'll tell you just just flat out up front. You as a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you got two options on this matter. Here you go. Option number one, total abstinence, meaning zero alcohol whatsoever. That's one option. Another option based on convictions is a measured moderation, meaning consumption of beverage alcohol, measured moderation with compassionate empathy for others. Those are your two options. Okay? Any other option outside of that? I do not believe uh, squares what we see in the Bible. Now, let's consider some factors. There are several factors to consider. The first of which is this, is, is what I call the affirmation factor. Okay, the affirmation factor, let's just go ahead and admit it. The Bible gives some affirming verses about consuming alcohol, specifically wine. Hello, You know, a lot of y'all that came out of those legalistic settings, you'd say, well, you know, the Bible says this and this, and the pastor would kind of do the Jedi mind trick on you. It doesn't mean that. That verse is not there in the Bible. You know, I mean, you've been there, okay? But guess what? There are some positive verses in the Bible about drinking wine. For example, Psalm 104, listen to this. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Then Ecclesiastes, another verse, very similar, 9-7, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. And yes, Jesus, in John chapter 2, did turn water into wine. I remember one time a, a preacher was preaching against alcohol in any way whatsoever, and a lady stood up and she said, Didn't Jesus turn water into wine? And the preacher stopped for just a second. He said, yes, he did. And I would have thought a whole lot more of him if he hadn't done it too, right? I mean, Jesus turned water into wine. Hello. By the way, there are at least two places in the Bible where wine is commended for medicinal 
purposes. Look at this. One is Proverbs 31, 6 and 7. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Obviously talking about a very extreme situation. Okay, so are you dying today? That doesn't necessarily apply to you. Okay, here's another one. First Timothy chapter 5. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So there are some affirmative verses about specifically wine. But keep this in mind, friends. Okay, keep this in mind. When we see the words wine in the Bible, most of the time it's referring to a type of wine that has been so diluted with water that it would not necessarily correspond to all of what we have today. And in the rare cases when you see the word strong drink, as we will see, we've already seen it and we will see it, uh, strong drink tended to refer to a wine-type beer substance that they had in the ancient world that was probably about, most scholars agree, about 7 to 10% alcohol by volume. Now, that may or may not mean anything to you, okay? But I'm going to correspond this to modern terminology. Remember, strong drink, this is the hard stuff now. This is the hard stuff back in the Bible days. 7 to 10% alcohol by volume. Now, let me put up on the screen here uh, several different representations of what's available to people today. Moonshine, which I'm sure there's plenty of it running around in Arkansas, okay, 40 to 80 percent alcohol by volume. Vodka, 40 to 60 percent alcohol by volume. Gin, 36 to 50. Rum, 36 to 50. Whiskey, 36 to 50. Tequila, 50 to 51. Wine, 14 to 21. Beer, 5 to 10 percent alcohol by volume volume. See, back in the Bible days, they didn't even have the distillation process for alcohol that gets us to this point here today. That wasn't even created till about a thousand years after Jesus walked the earth. So really what we're saying, what we see in the Bible is when it says strong drink, I mean like the hard stuff is like down here. We're talking like white claw. I mean that's what all the sissies drink from what I understand is like white claw, right? Okay, but that, that's the hard stuff back in the Bible. In other words, Nobody was walking around with a Jack and Coke back in the Bible days. Snoop Dogg wasn't sipping on gin and juice back in the Bible days. Why do we say all this? I say that to say that the verses of affirmation that we see in the Bible about wine and so forth is talking about a fairly weak drink compared to what is out there today. So don't be so quick to make the application and say, well, it says they had wine back in those days, so therefore, let's hit the open bar, baby. All right, there's a big, big difference. Nevertheless, the Bible does say some affirmative things. Here's the second factor I want you to see, the cognition factor. Again, we're just going straight to the Bible now. It's so important that we just stick really close to the Scripture because, again, like I said, I've heard a lot of manipulative sermons about alcohol over the years where Pastors have twisted the scripture in order to make it say what they want it to say, okay? Cognition factor. You say, what's cognition? All right. Cognition is what a lot of our key politicians ain't got. Clarity of mind. Amen? On both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democrat, clarity of mind. And the Bible says a lot about how Alcohol, beverage alcohol, can rob you of your cognition, your clarity of mind. Proverbs 23, look at this. Proverbs 23, who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? 
Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. By the way, I'm reading this from the New Living Translation. You will see hallucinations, and you will say crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast, and you will say, they hit me, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know uh, where they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another drink? Alcohol robs people of their cognitive clarity. Here's another one, Hosea chapter 4. Wine has robbed my people of their understanding. Did you know that nothing has really changed? Studies and data show that after just two drinks of alcohol, and that's glass, two glasses of wine, two beers, two shots, right? some things start to happen. Now, you're not flat out blacked out, but things start to happen where your cognition is diminished. For example, after those two drinks, you lose roughly 13% of your net memory. You have a 13% net memory loss, 11% degradation of your muscle reaction time, and roughly 20% degradation of your motor skills in terms of making mistakes and, 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 and errors, thinking and, and, and doing. Uh, I don't know about you, but I generally don't wake up in the morning saying, I don't need all of my mind today. Right? I mean, waking up and saying, well, God, I can just flush 15% of my mental faculties today. I don't need them. I will tell you, if you're anything like me, I wake up in the morning most days saying, oh, God, how am I going to get everything done today? How, how in the world am I going to do everything I need to do today? I need every ounce of my brain power, and I could probably use some extra despair. You been there? Yes, that's how we all wake up in the mornings. I tell you, I love to do what I do on Sunday mornings here, what I'm doing right now. I will tell you, I never feel more alive, and I've never felt more alive in my entire life than when I'm sharing the Word of God with God's people. But folks, what I do on Sunday morning doesn't just happen. Right? I mean, it, it takes every ounce of my brain power to bring you the messages as I do. I love, by the way, I, I did the little table thing for a couple weeks, and I said, forget it. I'm going back to just, just winging it. Just me and you, right? Just I love this eye contact. But again, it doesn't just happen. It takes a lot of preparation, a lot of study time. Not even on Sunday mornings, going back to Saturday nights. I rarely ever plan any kind of social event, go out, or do anything on Saturday nights because I'm on lockdown, preparing, studying. Then I get back up early Sunday morning, spend a few more hours in study and preparation. There's no way that I could share the Word of God as I do with you week in and week out if my, if my, if my mental capacity and my brain were in any way diminished. Right? So there, there is a cognition factor to alcohol. And I simply would not want to flush any bit of what God has given me at any given time. That's the cognition factor. But here's another factor that kind of builds off of the cognition factor, and that is the leadership factor. Look at the leadership factor. Okay, Proverbs 31. Did you know that there are some specific words to key leaders about the use of alcohol? O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. 
lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. There's a word for people in key positions of leadership. And here's another one specifically for the priests. Leviticus 10. The Lord said to Aaron, by the way, whose descendants were the priests in the tabernacle and ultimately the temple, you and your descendants must never drink wine or any other alcoholic drink before going into the tabernacle, meaning coming into God's presence. If you do, you will die. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation. For kings for priests, for people in key positions of leadership. Again, mental capacity. What in the world does this say about our whacked-out politicians in the United States? Right? Maybe that's part of the reason they're so, they're so lacking in character and judgment and morals and all the rest. I don't know. But the fact is that the Bible says something about the leadership factor. You say, well, pastor, I know that doesn't apply to me because I ain't a king, and I'm not, definitely not an Old Testament priest, all right, well, let me remind you of this. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to twist anything or manipulate anything, but here's something to think about. 1 Peter chapter 2, it's not in the notes. 1 Peter chapter 2 says that as followers of Jesus Christ, guess what we are? A royal priesthood whom God has called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, that verse was specifically talking about, in uh, Leviticus 10, it was specifically talking about when the priests were on duty. I'll tell you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm, I'm on duty 24-7, amen? I mean, I, I, followed, I don't take a break from following Jesus. And whereas they went into the tabernacle, into the, the temple to be in God's presence, God's presence now dwells in me. I take that very seriously. Are you a parent? A grandparent? Certainly a parent with children in the home? Man, you, you occupy the most important position of responsibility this world has ever known. It's an incredible thing. I will tell you, if, if, if you're in a leadership position out in town during the week, maybe you're a business owner, or you're in a leadership position where you work, or, or in, a in the community in some way, possessing a leadership position in the community, or in this church, I will tell you the leadership factor ought to get your attention. It ought to get your attention. Here's the next factor to consider, and we simply call that the destruction factor. The destruction factor. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Look at this. Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler. By the way, again, 7 to 10% alcohol by volume, just as, just as a reminder. Strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. I want you to think of some of the impacts that this has had in, 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 our, in our American, especially in America uh, today. Uh, just think about the vehicular fatalities. Did you know that 30% of all vehicle crashes that, that kill somebody involve somehow, some way, involve alcohol? On average, 14,000 people a year in the United States are killed in a vehicle crash that somehow involved alcohol, and many of them are killed even though they were not even drinking. They were killed by a drunk driver. You know, that's, that's one person every 39 minutes. One person every 39 minutes dies in an alcohol-related accident here in the United States. That means somewhere, someplace in the United States, somebody's going to die because of drunk driving during, the, during this sermon. Heaven forbid it's not one of your children or grandchildren or loved ones or friends. There, there is a destruction factor. What about violence? 65 percent, 
65% of all domestic violence and abuse is fueled by alcohol. 45% of all homicides, every time somebody kills somebody, somebody else, 45% of the time, it's alcohol-fueled, alcohol-related. And 88% of all campus rapes and sexual assaults on colleges today, 88% fueled by alcohol. Now, a lot of times when we start talking about alcohol, people will bring up questions such as this. And I've heard, listen, I've heard this many times. People will say, well, you know, there's a lot of issues that we should be talking about. We shouldn't just, just focus on alcohol. I mean, how can we preach against alcohol, but we don't preach against gluttony, for example? I mean, I've heard that many times. And I'll be honest, yes, gluttony is an issue. And we have many people in our nation, and God help us in our churches, who are committing suicide with a knife and a fork. But may I simply tell you this? No one ever has gone out and smashed an entire package of Oreos and then gotten into their car and drove off and killed somebody. It's, it's, it's never happened. I've heard of many people, listen, I've heard of many people being arrested for driving drunk. I've never heard about anybody being arrested for driving fat, have you? No, of course, listen, yes, it's an issue, but, but we're talking about the destruction factor. There is no comparison. There is no comparison. By, by the way, I was mentioning my own family story earlier in the message. What I did not mention was that my half-brother, uh, a, a, a son of my dad from a previous marriage, uh, dr literally drank himself to death last year. Uh, his, his doctor said, you need to quit drinking. His family and his friends and associates said, you need to quit drinking, and he did not stop drinking. And he literally, last year, he died of alcohol poisoning. Now, there are enough studies out there that show that there, that there is a, a, a strong possibility that there is a genetic linkage with alcoholism. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, you, that, that you know, your genes are putting a gun to your head, forcing you to drink. That's not the point. I mean, you, ultimately, you make your own decisions. But, but you could potentially, I, I, I look at my own family history, potentially I, I could already genetically be an alcoholic, even though I've never really had anything to drink hardly in my life, right? And, and, and I've told my kids, I've looked my kids in the eye, and I've said, look, if you start drinking, you're, based on what I know about my family, if you start drinking, even in moderation, you will be making a foolish, foolish decision. A foolish decision. There's the destruction factor. But you say, Pastor Phil, you're talking about domestic abuse and, and killing people by drunk driving and, and, and campus assault and all this. And those are such extreme examples. Pastor, I mean, that's not me. I got it. For the vast majority of people listening to my voice this morning, even for whom there's not a conviction about total abstinence, this doesn't apply to you directly. Friend, you might be surprised to know the number of people in our church who struggle with alcohol. I'm not saying hundreds. I'm not necessarily even saying dozens. But I've known enough Christian people over the years who have been highly functioning alcoholics. You would never know it based on what you see on Sunday morning. Their husband or their wife may not even be fully aware of what's taking place. And if that's you, 
I hope you know that Crossgate Church is a safe place. I hope you know that there are people that want to help you fight that battle, whether it's a pastor or an elder. You, you, need, you need to invite a life group leader. You need to invite someone into your struggle because God brings his people alongside of people who are hurting and struggling. Our Regen ministry on Wednesday nights is a perfect place to break free from chains of all kinds to include substance addiction. But there is a destruction factor, and I don't want to see anybody go down that road and experience the pain and the heartache that it eventually and necessarily brings. Now, here's the next factor. The next factor is this, the reliance factor. By the way, the last two factors are probably the ones that are the most relevant for this, this congregation. All right, probably the last two are the ones that are the most relevant and the most practical for us. So I need you to pay attention. Hey, the reliance factor. Uh, Ephesians 5.18. Love this verse. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know how much I love to talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And certainly, yes, I totally agree with this verse. Drunkenness will take you nowhere. Being filled with the Spirit will take you exactly to where God wants you to take where God wants to take you. But there's a subtle message in this verse that I think is very important, a subtle message. And that subtle message is this in the form of a question. What are you relying on for peace, for joy, and for the life that God wants? What, what are you relying on? Are you relying on God, or are you relying on something else to include a substance of some kind. It's so easy to rely on something else rather than God. I found this verse this week. I think it's very interesting, somewhat obscure, but very interesting. Deuteronomy 29, verse 6, look at this. Talking about uh, being led through the wilderness for 40 years, God led his people. He said, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. You have not eaten bread, meaning, of course, you may remember they ate manna. They had nothing but this manna from heaven. And you have not drunk wine or strong drink, watch this, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. God says, I don't want anything else to come between you and me. I want you to rely on me completely. There's another great passage that talks about the same thing in the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 8. You can check that out later if you want to. But the fact is that God doesn't want anything coming between you and him. And, and when you hit a low point, especially when the stresses of life become unbearable, that's definitely not a time to go to something else. That's when God wants you to go to him. Now, think about the modern, the modern world. Man comes home from work. Man, that was a hard day. Hard day. Stress. Man, I barely made it. He immediately goes to get a drink. Does God want him going to get a drink, or does God want him to go to God? And, 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 and to seek sustenance and refreshment from God. You know, I, I guess this has probably been the last 10 or 15 years, but I, I've noticed a, a thing in our culture talking about talking about women and women's reliance on wine it's almost become a punchline hasn't it right i saw a t-shirt in a little store one day it said motherhood driven by love fueled by coffee and sustained by wine right 
Uh, I saw another one. It, it, it said winos, W-I-N-O-S, women, women in search of um, sanity or something like that. Women in need of sanity. It's like, I, I need my wine. Or, or again, the man coming home from work, I, gotta, I, I need this. The, the question is, what do you need? Do you need God? Or do you substitute your need for God because you need something else? I will tell you, there have been some dark moments in my life. There have been some, some low points in my life. Uh, the stresses of work, no different than the stresses that you face. Times in Iraq and Afghanistan, seeing things, hearing things, smelling things that I, I can't get out, get out of my mind. But I will tell you, I've, I've, I've never once said, I need a drink to get rid of this stuff from my mind. I've just, I've never, that, that's, that's not been me. I've said, I, I need to go to the Lord in this. Now, I will tell you this. If I didn't know Jesus Christ personally, I mean, in a saving and powerful way, with some of the things I've seen and heard, I'd, I'd get drunk and stay drunk if I didn't know Jesus. There's, there's a reliance fact. Who, who are you relying on? What are you relying on if you have gotten to the point in your, in your moderation where, where you need this? Man, you on thin ice. And that will not take you down the road that you want to go. I guarantee you that. It will not take you down the road. Now, here's the last thing. Really, two, two for one. Two for one sale. Here's our last factor, the example and empathy factor. Again, this is where it really applies to us. Okay, really applies to us. The example and empathy factor. Romans chapter 14, look at this. Again, New Living Translation I'm becoming to love that one. Uh, that, just the New Living Translation is tremendous for explaining things very simply. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat or drink. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. So understand this. In the early church, there were situations where uh, something that was being eaten and consumed or something that was being uh, drunk and consumed could potentially cause a rift. Okay, so first of all, you had, you had Jewish people who had become Christians, and they had come out of a religion that had all kinds of food laws. You can't eat bacon, you can, which sounds awful if you think about it. I mean, you, no bacon. No shrimp, no, no, no red lobster, no fisherman's wharf, all right? None of that. Well, now they get saved, and they're in a situation where God says, you can eat anything you want to. You're free in terms of what you eat and what you drink. But there's still this, this tug of the, of, the, of the past convictions, okay? Then on the other hand, you have some of these Gentiles. They weren't Jews, but they were Gentiles, and they got saved, well, in the Gentile world, they had all kinds of meats and foods and things that would be used uh, within these, these pagan sacrifices. Well, once they got done sacrificing the food, it was, it was still edible. So it was like, well, of course I'm going to eat that, man. It's food. Let's eat it, right? And there were some people who were very convicted and conflicted about that. And others said, I've got my freedom in Christ. You see, it was causing division and a rift among, among Christians. And, and Paul the Apostle, who wrote Romans chapter 14, basically said this. Don't, don't partake of these things in such a way as to cause somebody else to stumble. Okay? Now, what that requires is it requires example and it requires empathy. 
Now, let's think about beverage alcohol, okay? Again, there, there is a liberty. We, we don't see any, any prohibition that no Christian can ever, this is just a flat-out black print on white paper, no Christian should ever drink alcohol under any circumstances. All right, that, that's a convictional issue. Okay? So, so, so if you do find yourself in a place of measured moderation, this is why I say in compassionate empathy for others, who's watching you? Who's, who's watching you while you, while you uh, exercise your freedom in Christ? Your children? Your grandchildren? Other people? Associates? So on the one hand, I could see someone saying, listen, I, I never drink to excess. I, it, it's, it's, it's measure moderation, and that's it. Just like you said, Pastor. As a matter of fact, I feel like I'm giving a great example because I never overdo it at all, so I'm giving a great example. Okay, and that's one way to look at it, but here's the, here's the flip side of that coin. The flip side of that coin is this. What if you do exercise your freedom in measured moderation? And, 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 and there's never a time when you go overboard by any means. You don't even get close to that. But your children see that. And your children, they, they get to be legally 21 or, or older, and they say, you know, my mom and my dad, I mean, they, they drank in moderation, and, and so therefore I don't see anything wrong with it, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to drink in moderation. But then it gets away from them, and they turn into an alcoholic. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that that can be laid at your feet directly, but I will tell you one of the reasons why my wife and I are adamantly opposed to any alcohol in our, in our hands, in our homes, in our bodies, or anything is because our children see our example. And I would never want one of our kids or somebody else that knows us to look at our example of moderation and say, well, mom and dad can drink, and so I'm, I'm going to start drinking. And then all of a sudden, one of my children become an alcoholic. I personally wouldn't be able to live with myself. And I certainly wouldn't want in any way, shape, or form that being laid at, at my feet. So yes, we, we're concerned. My wife are concerned, and I are concerned about our, our example. Here's the other thing, empathy. Empathy, of course, is where you realize that life ain't just about you. And you understand there are other people out there, which, by the way, the, the feedback that I got off of my message on gambling two weeks ago, the, the number one feedback that I, from many people that I've gotten is this, Pastor, I've never thought about it that way before. When you said that, yes, there's the person that gambles and places bets, but there's a whole bunch of other people out there who are potentially in pain and heartache because of, of their participation in that. I never thought about beyond just a couple of bucks here and there, right? Same thing with alcohol. I mean, if it's just a transaction between you and a glass of something and you drink it, that's, it it's, it's not destroying your life. But understanding that there's empathy. There, there's empathy for people who are really struggling. Again, there is a liberty. There's a liberty, right? We've already talked about that. But there's an empathy that God calls his people to have, right? So what, what, is that, what, is, so what are you saying, Pastor? Okay, how about this? Remember what it said in Romans chapter 14? What you believe is not wrong, but just keep it between you and God. I want to encourage you. If, if, if you want to exercise your liberty in Christ and, 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 and through moderate and measured moderation, consume uh, a beverage alcohol, probably don't want to put that all over social media, right? I mean, that's just, just as, an, as an example. In, in, a, in a public place, who's, who's watching you? Are you encouraging people through, through your exercising of, of your liberty? This is stuff you have to think about. This is stuff that I have to think about. I've given you some things to think about today. Friends, I want to put those two options up on the screen one more time. 
You obviously know where I stand on this, but this is, this is not an issue where legalism needs to, needs to rule the day. Total abstinence, meaning zero alcohol whatsoever. Measured moderation with compassion and empathy for others. You know, at the end of the day, you know, and again, we're asking today, what does the Bible say? And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ and you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus, then you may be listening to me saying, man, what is this guy talking about? I mean, I don't understand why this guy's so uptight. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be thinking biblically. You should be asking yourself, and you know what? Your conclusions may not be exactly like mine. That's okay, but you've got to ask yourself this, and, and seriously ask yourself this question about every issue in life. What does the Bible say? We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.